Good morning. And uh, good morning again. Good morning. Um, I'm not sure uh, what's happening to our voices as we are greeted. It be the fans um, that are taking away our voices. Um, it's a privilege uh, once again for me to stand before you uh, to bring God's word. And uh, may I invite us to turn to John and chapter 12. Uh, <clears throat> I noticed that uh, the last time I was preaching, I was mentioning a different chapter but reading the right passage. Um, so if that happens again, please uh, just uh, do not be hindered to, uh, to disturb me. I may be disturbed a bit, but I will, I will catch up in my disturbance. <laughs> uh, so if uh, you hear uh, that repeated, please uh, either raise your hand or, or send a small note or, or shout a bit. <laughs> that um, I am mentioning a different passage, but I'm reading the right one. Um, okay, so John and chapter 12, and uh, we will be um, at uh, verse number 23 up to 26, um, but we will commence reading from uh, verse number 9, a few verses from verse number 9 up uh, to verse number uh, 22, and then uh, pick it up from there. But before we, uh, we read God's word and seek to do some uh, comments on it, can I just invite us to just turn to the Lord in prayer? Our Father, we are grateful to you that Again, we have the privilege that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can meet together in the manner that we are doing. Thank you for the worship that has gone before. It's our plea and our prayer that, Lord, you may be pleased to accept that worship and in turn, bless us. We echo the prayers that have ascended concerning the preaching of your word. That's our Father that you will be pleased to hear again to those, please. And so may you grant the speaker the enabling to speak that which is beneficial to your people grant receptive hearts I speak to both the speaker and the hearer and grant our father that um, your word will be effective upon the hearts of both the believer and the non-believer so I invite you to continue in in our midst our father as we pray and commend uh, this particular session to your mercies and to your goodness in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Right, John, and chapter twelve. We may well know that um, uh, today is what is popularly known as a Palm Sunday, and um, it's um, a week. We're entering what is known as the Holy Week, the week that leads to the commemoration of the crucifixion, crucifixion, not crucifixion, crucifixion of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sermon is not necessarily on Palm Sunday, but we pick the conversation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, after the Palm Sunday, as he had it with uh, the people that were around him, and uh, particularly as we read about some Gentiles, the Greeks that came to him seeking his audience, as it were. 
So verse number 9, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. Invite us to jump to verse number 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone saves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone saves me, let him. Excuse me. If, if anyone saves me, him my father will honor. So much for our Bible reading and our text. The 12th chapter of John marks the beginning of our Savior's last week on earth. And the timing of the text that we have before us, which is uh, the text beginning uh, verse number 20, is just a few days before the Lord is uh, crucified. Uh, biblical scholars would say that uh, this was the third day before what is being referred to here as the feast, uh, basically uh, the Passover feast, the last Passover, as it were, that our Savior would commemorate as uh, a fully man and fully God here on earth. The preceding chapter, which is John chapter 11, we see uh, beyond, uh, a proof beyond doubt that we are dealing with uh, this man who not only was man, but was also God. He was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. 
and a demonstration of that aspect of, of him, as it were, is seen in him raising Lazarus from the dead. But also we see the fulfillment of a great prophecy in the Old Testament about this Messiah, as it were, uh, coming triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey with the multitudes, multitudes uh, 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 shouting and, uh, and praising the Lord, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. But at this point, uh, we can humanly say, humanly say, and I want to emphasize the word humanly say, that the, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and indeed many Jews had sort of upped their game not to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And again, we can say, humanly speaking, plans were very advanced. And I'm saying humanly speaking because as we shall appreciate later on, this was all God's doing. It was all God's timing. So, plans were in very advanced stage to arrest this man and sentence him to death. And so, it is in this context that we have this request by some Greeks. Uh, the, the, the Bible just says certain Greeks. Uh, these are non-Jewish people or the so-called Gentiles that uh, came to worship during the feast of the Passover, this particular feast before our Savior was sent to uh, Calvary, uh, so to speak. These must have left the worship of the idols and, and seemingly had been converted to worship the God of Israel. And their request was simply this, we wish to see Jesus as they approached Philip. And probably they had heard a lot of things that our Savior had done. And maybe they had heard about the raising to life of Lazarus, which we read about earlier on in this particular chapter 12 of John. And they desired, as it were, to learn more about this man, uh, perhaps to interact closely with him and inquire more about what he was doing. So Philip, for whatever reason, gets to Andrew, and together uh, uh, Philip and Andrew bring before this request of the, of the Greeks uh, to the Lord or before the Lord. And it's interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ starts talking about what is about to happen as a response to the request by these Greeks. And this response brings out some, some great truth about our Savior's saving work. Brings about the truth that He, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to die, had to go to Calvary for salvation of mankind. And in this regard, and uh, in, in line with uh, the text that I, uh, I have read, I have entitled my message this morning as the nature 
and implications of Christ's death. And I want to propose to deal with this subject under three main headings. Uh, first of all, we will uh, talk about the Lord's death as being according to God's plan. Then we'll talk about the fact that this death was necessary for our salvation. And then we will talk about the implications for man in light of the saving work of our Savior uh, through his death. So firstly then, Jesus' death was according to God's plan. Verse number 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, when we read the Gospels, we come across a number of occasions where the Pharisees and the religious elite of this particular day had sought to kill our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The story in Luke chapter 4, and Luke chapter 4 talks about the uh, temptation, the 40-day temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ by, by Satan. And uh, if I can just uh, pick a few scriptures from there, Luke and chapter 4. And um, uh, let me read verse number 16 uh, in, in, in verse in, in, at the opening of this particular chapter, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is in, a, in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And after the 40 days, we read in verse 14 that uh, he returns from the wilderness with great power, as it were, in the power of the Spirit of God to Galilee, and news went out through all the surrounding region that the Lord Jesus Christ was there. So in verse 16, we say, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And, and, uh, and, and he continues uh, in verse uh, uh, verse number 23 uh, 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 talking about uh, himself and he says you will surely say this proverb to me physician heal yourself whatever we have heard done in Capernaum do also here in your, in your country uh, as surely as I say to you no prophet is accepted in, in his own country but I tell you the truth Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three days and six months and there was great famine through all the land. In verse 28, if I can jump there, so all those in the synagogue, all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Incensed about his claims that he was the Messiah sent to redeem those that were lost. And they sought and plotted to kill him. Another instance we see in John and chapter uh, chapter 8, uh, uh, the book where we are, John and chapter 8, 
And if I can just again read a few uh, excerpts from this particular uh, chapter, um, verse 16 of chapter 8. Maybe let me read from um, uh, uh, verse number, um, yes, verse 16, verse 14 rather. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I'm, I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two, two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And, and he continues, and, and mark what uh, happens uh, what he says in verse number 37. I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place. And uh, he repeats the, the plot to kill him later on in verse number, number 39 and 40. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's child, you would do the words of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Later on, he would tell them that you are of your father, the devil, the desires of your father you want to do. And they were incensed on hearing those things. And when, at the end of that chapter, he would cl claim that uh, 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 in verse 55, 58, uh, most assuredly, I said to you, before Abraham was, I am equating himself, as it were, with the Father. Verse 59 would tell us that they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. What's my point in referring to these uh, passages in Luke and Luke chapter 4 and John and chapter 8 is simply this, that there were many attempts to put an end to the life of this man who claimed to be equal to God. But his time had not yet come. However, at this particular point where we read in chapter 12 and verse number 23, the time for his death was at hand. The time for his death was quickly approaching and our Savior was fully aware of what was coming. In other words, what I'm saying in my first point, or under this uh, first main point, is that the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was in line with God's timing. But also another truth that we notice concerning this particular matter is that uh, God planned it so that ultimately the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be to honor and glorify the one who was to die. The latter part of that verse, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It was plain to the Savior that his time to go to the cross 
was very close by and that ultimately as he went to the cross he will be glorified and one would ask but how does one view their own brutal murder brutal execution as a moment of glorification how does the savior claim that his death will lead to his own glorification well i want to suggest just one particular answer to that question that it's because this was the moment the moment that this man would bring sinners into a right relationship with god a moment as it were that would pave way for salvation of not only the jew but also the gentile a moment that would pave way for salvation of you and i and in this regard therefore this will bring honor and glory to god and so we we need to appreciate that our savior's death was was not an unfortunate tragic event that simply happened through the 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 hatred and evil plans of the pharisees and scribes and uh, many jews that wanted him dead this was all god's plan it was within god's plan to bring salvation to you and i and so hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 would say this but we see jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by grace of god should test death for every man and so connecting with this truth or this particular truth i hurry on to my second major point and this is the fact that our savior's death was necessary for man's salvation it was necessary our savior had to die and i pick that from verse number 24 most assuredly i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it dies it produces much grain and obviously the die there is is seen to sort of in a sense contradict the other one but obviously one the first die implies dying completely and the second one implies dying as to germinate so to speak and the the analogy of the wheat is given to us here the analogy or illustration of the grain of wheat falling to the ground and either dying and completely dying or dying to resurrect a couple of points on this particular aspect that we are talking about here that uh, our savior is talking about his sacrificial death the illustration of this particular grain is as i have alluded to that if that grain does not or falls onto the ground and does not germinate to produce a plant it will remain dead and bring little or no life 
bring little or no benefit. In fact, no benefit at all. However, if it is placed in the ground and allowed to undergo the germination process, it will produce much fruit uh, through a new stock or a new plant of wheat. And in that sense, we can talk about the seed, as it were, being sacrificed in order to have a harvest. Our Savior, through these words, is speaking of the sacrifice he would soon make, and he would soon make it uh, for the benefit of humankind or mankind. And obviously, when we read the scriptures, we know that this is exactly what our Savior did. He offered, as it were, himself to die on the cross. Stood on our behalf. Taking upon himself my sin, your sin, the judgment that comes with sin, exchanging our sin and sinfulness for his righteousness. And three days after he was buried, he rose, as it were, triumphantly over sin, over death, and over hell. But connected to that is the fact that this sacrifice, this death, has led to the salvation of many. Again, we read the latter part of this particular verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies to live again, if I can add my own words, it produces much fruit. Through a one seed that is planted in the ground, much fruit is produced. Many of us have planted maize either in our backyards or at uh, pieces of land somewhere. Some of us have planted beans. Others have planted groundnuts. Uh, can I also add that others, uh, many of us have popos, popo trees in our backyards, as it were. It took one small seed to plant in the ground to get many seeds out of that one small seed. And this is the picture that we have here. One seed of purple giving not only many fruits of purple, but also many seeds of purple. In like manner, uh, through this one death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, many have come to faith through him. Many have become children of God, born again of the Spirit of God. Many have the hope, the assurance of eternal life because of this one sacrifice by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 would put it this way. It was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect 
uh, through sufferings. Many have come to faith as a result of this one death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The death, as it were, being celebrated this particular month of April throughout the world. Well, I'll hurry on to talk about the implications of or the implications for man in light of Christ's offer of salvation through his death. That's my third main point. Verse 25 and 26. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone saves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone saves me, him my father will honor. And I want to simply say uh, concerning uh, this particular passage or part passage of our main text that firstly this is a call in a sense for us to examine our attitude toward life. He who loves life shall lose it. He who hates life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. A statement those that uh, have studied English would call a paradox. In a sense, uh, a contradiction of truth. A savior declares that we must lose our world life, so to speak, if I can, and it's quite qualified there, uh, he who hates his life in this world, we must hate our world life in order for us to enjoy eternal life. We in a sense, must be willing to hate the life of sin. Obviously, we want to enjoy ourselves in this world. In a sense, our Savior is saying, well, go ahead, love everything about your sinful life. Fall in love with your sinful self. Love your gossip nature. Love your lying tongue. Love your immoral pursuits. Love your greed and your lusts. But remember the consequences. The consequences of indulging in sinful life is eternal death in hell. And so when we perhaps hear people boasting about how they have had a great life, how they have, as it were, enjoyed every bit of their lives, how that they have no regrets, in life, remind them. Remind them that if their boasting is without Christ, if they have no Christ, their boasting amounts to nothing. The Lord here says, 
if you really desire eternal life, hate your sinful life. Look to my cross, he's saying, and have life. Hate all aspects of sin. Hate your arrogance. Hate your pride. Hate your lust. Hate every evil. See your sin for what it is. It is taking you straight into the furnaces of hell. Confess it. Turn to the Lord. Cry to him sincerely. He will turn your life anew and give you life eternal. Secondly, under that main heading, and again I have so two subheadings, sub-subheadings under this, let us examine our attitudes towards serving God. The latter part, in fact, verse 20, number 26, says this, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. If we profess to be Christians that serve the Lord, if we claim that we are saved, and to that effect we claim that we are in service of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord says we must follow him. A bit of uh, a strange combination, save, follow. Well, the, when we compare ourselves to the soldiers, the soldiers follow the command of their superiors. A servant follows the commands of the master. The sheep follow the guidance of the shepherd. In like manner, as children of God, we must follow the command of our master. Our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is speaking of faith and obedience. Obedience to what the Lord requires us to be and to do. Our knowledge of the scriptures may be small. Many may be our troubles on earth that in a sense could be impeding our following closely the Savior. Our faith may be weak. Again, that could be impeding a close following of the Master. But if we truly believe the Lord Jesus Christ, if we know that we are truly saved, we must do whatever is in our power. Let me add, 
with the help of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do his bidding, to obey his commands. We live in disobedience. We shouldn't be surprised if the Lord visits us in his wrath with punishment. Proclaim that we are children of God. Profess that we are children of God. Let's follow our master closely. In other words, let's desire a closer walk with the Lord. Further to that is an aspect of, of service. And uh, I simply have simply put it this way that Christian service is no vain service. Why do I say that? Because of the latter part of verse number 26. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Christian service is no vain service. We're not doing this in vain. We are not following the master in vain. Yes, the rewards of the followers of Christ in this life maybe ridicule, maybe scorn, maybe opposition. It may mean persecution. As long as we are certain that we indeed are children of God, if we are certain that we have indeed been rescued rescued from the shackles of the devil. We, a great honor, a great honor awaits us at the end of our lives. The world may pour contempt on us. The world may laugh at us. But we are assured assured of this great, can I call it, great reward and honor by God himself. And we, at that particular point, we shall realize and fully understand that it was worthwhile. Worthwhile trusting the Lord. Worthwhile obeying the Lord worthwhile following our master while we are here below on this wicked world. What can I say in conclusion? Well, there's a lesson for both the sinner and the believer. Sinner sees, stop depending on your own works. Stop depending on your own efforts, your own merits. The death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was that you may see yourself in light of the scriptures that we have read, in light of what the scriptures describe you, a sinner, with the wrath of God, as it were, hanging upon you. And unless you die to your own works, to your own wisdom, your own righteousness you will not see life yes you may have life in this world but you die in your sins 
hell awaits you. You have an opportunity this morning. Opportunity to make things right with God. And my prayer, my plea, is that you may cry to him for salvation. And if you do that from the depths of your heart, he will receive you and make you his child. Christian friends, there's a sense in which we, we ourselves are seeds, seeds planted in this world. And we are seeds planted to bear fruit. Examine your life in light of your inclination towards the world. Examine your life in light of your service to the Lord. Can you say that you have a close walk with the Lord? That you are following the Lord closely? Can you can you say that your service for the Lord is acceptable before him? The challenge upon each one of us examine yourself whether you are in the faith. I think 1 Corinthians 13 would put it that way. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Examine yourself in light of your life, in light of the service for the Lord. And make amends where you need to make amends with the help of our God. May the Lord add a blessing upon these few words. Amen.